Welcome back to another Youth-Centered Podcast. This is our third part in a six-part series on our Savage Leadership. Today, I'm very excited to have our town manager, Melissa Rodriguez, here uh, to come in and talk to us a little bit about her leadership style uh, and to kind of get to know a little bit of how she leads this town and obviously some crazy first year and a half that she's been here. So, Melissa, thanks for coming on our Youth-Centered Podcast. Thanks for having me, Rick. I'm excited to be here. And as we do all the time, we like our guests to kind of do their own uh, bio. So if you could just spend a minute or two to talk to us a little bit about the Melissa Rodriguez uh, files. Uh, who is she? Where'd she come from? And where we're at now? Absolutely. So I live in Danvers, Mass. with my husband, Dave, and our two elementary school age daughters and our dog. Um, I grew up in the city of Everett. Lived there until two years ago, actually, when I made the Great American Pilgrimage to the suburbs um, as my kids started elementary school. Um, I went for my undergrad at Boston University, my degrees in journalism, and then I got my law degree from Northeastern University. I am practiced, uh, I am licensed to practice law in Massachusetts. Um, I started in municipal government when I was 14 years old um, with a job <laughs> at the library. Um, and I have loved it since. I um, started in the city of Everett in 2008 as um, legal counsel and then the mayor's chief of staff. Um, about 2015, I went to work for the town of Sudbury where I was their town manager for four years. And I have been here in North Andover for the last 18 months. Absolutely, and it's been an interesting 18 months, which we'll get into that. So Melissa, um, we're asking all of our guests some similar questions and other different ones every week. But the first thing we want to ask you is, how would you describe your leadership style? Sure. So I think um, I'm, I'm big on collaboration. Um, it's really important to me to, to build teams um, and to have those teams feel effective and supported. Um, I think a big part of my leadership style is recognition and trying to build those around me up so that we can all be successful together. Um, you know, I always say to people that I'm only as good as the 161 people that I work with, um, and that really rings true to me. So I really try to be a team builder, um, a listener as much as I can, um, and, and really try to just build those relationships that allow us all to succeed. Awesome. And when we look at leadership style, we look at the basis of leadership values. Uh, do you have some leadership values that you live by? You know, I think for me, just always trying to do what is right or what I think is right um, is something that I, I just try to live by in both my personal life and in my professional life. Um, it's not always easy to do the right thing, right? A lot of the time it's <laughs> harder to do the right thing and you may not always make a lot of friends doing the right thing, sure. um, but it's something that you know you can feel good about at the end of the day. So for me, that's one of the main values that I try to carry. Um, treating people with kindness and respect. You know, I, when I speak to residents, um, I think about how I would want to be treated. Um, I try to really think about the town as not only a government, but also as a business. And we have customers, and customers should be treated with respect. People spend a lot of money to live in North Andover and have the amenities that we offer, um, and they deserve to be treated that way. Um, so I think probably respect is the second value that I hold on to pretty dearly. Interesting. Very good. Um, you've had a number of stops in your professional career. You are an attorney by trade. Uh, basically, have worked in a library as you started when you were younger. And then obviously in municipal government in three what I consider very different type communities when you look at Everett, Sudbury, and North Andover. How has each one of these stops in your professional career made who you are today as a leader? Yeah, so I think that... Um you know, I, I, I certainly have had challenges. Um, you know, when I first started out in my career, I did not think I'd be going into municipal government, despite my love for it. Um, when I was born, my uncle was the mayor of the city of Everett. Um, there's pictures of me sitting in his chair, a chair that I sat in later um, as chief of staff. Um, but honestly, I fell into municipal government more by mistake than anything else. Um, I had just taken the bar exam. I was waiting for my bar results. A friend was running for mayor. I actually had a job at the district attorney's office that I had planned to take, um, and I didn't pass the bar. I failed by a point, um, and so I kind of had to revisit what I was doing, and I, I went to the city of Everett kind of licking my wounds a little bit, um, studied again, passed, um, and was able to kind of build up from there. And once I started doing it, especially giving back to where I, I grew up, um, it was just so rewarding, and it's so nice to see 
um, you know, the benefit of what you're doing and how it, it is rewarding to other people as well. Um, but the three different communities that I've worked in, you know, well different are all the same, right? It's all just people who want to have a good quality of life, who want to be treated respectfully, who deserve to be treated respectfully, who are working hard to afford where they're living um, and are expecting a certain level of service. And we are trying to deliver to all of those people as best as we can. So while they're all different, and they are, right? Everett isn't a really urban city. Sudbury is a very rural community. And North Andover kind of lands maybe right in the middle of those, which is why I think I like it so much. Um, at the end of the day, I was doing the same thing in all of those places. Interesting. Let me go back to you. You mentioned that you didn't pass the bar the first time. Um, and obviously, what was your resiliency to obviously pass it the next time you did it? And, um, you know, I look at some of my own things professionally that sometimes you look at that a misfortune ends up becoming a silver lining in a way. How would you describe that, that first initial that you didn't pass the bar and your drive to pass it the next time you took it? Yeah, it was a shock to me in a lot of ways. I always have been a really hard worker. Uh, my mom says that about me a lot, that I just, I'm somebody who always has just worked hard. Nothing has ever come easy to me, um, but it's always been something that I've worked at and I've been successful because of that. So for me, um, working really hard through three years of law school and then studying for the bar exam and then not passing was definitely um, a, a huge slap to my confidence and probably in a good way in the end, <laughs> although I didn't feel like it at the time um, because it certainly helped me grow as a person. I, you know, I was 25 years old, um, went to law school right out of undergrad, um, and, and it certainly helped me do a lot of growing up. I remember someone saying to me, um, do you know what you call someone who passed the bar exam the second time? And I, you know, I'm like, oh, here it comes. And they said, a lawyer. And I was like, huh, you're right, right? No one's ever asked me if I passed the first time. Um, you know, I, I say I'm a lawyer and no one ever questions it. <laughs> um, you know, and I went on after that to work for a bar review company where I actually worked with people who didn't pass the bar exam. Um, and I would sit with them and go over their essays and, and um, teach them kind of where they didn't do well um, and how to improve the next time. Um, and when they offered me that job, I said, well, I didn't pass. And they said, well, you pass now. And I'm like, oh, you're right. I did. Right. And that kind of helped me get over that hump. Um, so it was definitely a learning experience. But it also taught me that, you know, just because you don't do something right the first time doesn't mean you're not going to nail it the second time. Uh, and it's OK to screw up. Right. And I'm still screwing up all the time. And we all are. So, you know, it definitely was a, a good learning experience for me in the end. Awesome. And great, great advice to a bunch of our younger kids that will be listening to this podcast. When you look at your professional career and, and even as you were even a student, who were some of your leadership mentors? And if you don't want to say my name, what type of mentors did you have? Yeah. So I think that, you know, as a student and as a just a child generally, my family was always really involved in local government. So my, like I said, my uncle was the mayor and then went on to be state rep. Another one of my uncles was on the city council. Um, my brother's a teacher. My mom was my school nurse. You know, um, it, there always was just this kind of, um, this just, you gave back and that's what you did in the community. You always just gave back. And so that always has been ingrained in me. Um, as, a, as a boss, you know, I, I was blessed in college and right after college to be able to work for Senator Jared Barrios from Cambridge. Um, and, you know, I still a dear friend now, but he was the kind of boss who motivated you to be the best that you could be all the time. You know, he, I, I joke with people that he used to call me at five o'clock in the morning um, to, to remind me of what he um, had thought about during the night, <laughs> um, you know, and, and I would write them down and then go back to sleep. Um, but he, um, always was trying to do the right thing even when it wasn't the popular thing he always was kind to everyone um and he would go out of his way to be kind and remember people he knew kids people's kids grandchildren's names um he he just was one of those people that i wanted to be like um and he really taught me about customer service um which was really important to me um and so that's the kind of leader that i i flourish under i think someone who shows up and is true to his word and, and really just walks the walk. Um, and that's the kind of person that I want to be. You know, I have a lot of trouble working with uh, leaders that, that don't do that, that maybe will dictate how something should be done, but wouldn't be willing to roll their sleeves up and do it. Um, you know, and I think that's how, how we lead um, by, by just doing every day. Awesome. So as you get um, 
to your job in the municipal government. Um, how have some of those previous jobs prepared you to be the town manager in North Andover? <laughs> well, um, I spent about six years working as a bank teller. Um, all through when I was 16 until I graduated from college. Every weekend, every Saturday morning. Um, you know, and I, people are passionate about their money. Um, and so, you know, I think I learned probably a lot of my customer service skills there, right? Um, you know, you're 16 years old, uh, working at Bank of America, and it's your first real job, um, making $11 an hour. And, you know, you, you really have to learn a lot when you're working in retail with people, right? Um, and I think probably everybody should work a job like that at some point, you know, because it really does teach you a lot about, about customers. Um, so I think that has always been a good base for me. And then, you know, working in, in Everett and Sudbury, like I said, we're, we're doing the same thing everywhere, right? We're creating budgets. We're working on capital. We're dealing with quality of life issues, right? Like I, I go and I talk to the elementary school students and, and we talk about um, how if, if government didn't exist, right? And we weren't doing our jobs, nobody would pick up your trash and you wouldn't have clean water, right? What we're doing every day makes a real difference. Um, you know, working in two really diverse places um, has helped me kind of learn a lot about how people operate, what people's goals are, what's important to different demographics. But like I said, at the end of the day, we're all really the same. Um, and diversity is not just diversity, you know, the way that we think of it classically. It's also diversity of opinions and diversity of politics. And, and working in so many diverse places has really allowed me to be able to embrace people of all kinds, I think. Actually, perfect. You came to North Andover at what I would call a, an interesting time. We had just been coming out of a really rough time with the gas crisis. Um, and you were at the tail end of that and, and dealing with the fallout from what it was going to be and everything from rebuilding a lot of the things around here infrastructure-wise. And then we get hit with this thing called a global pandemic in your first full year here. How has those challenges affected you professionally, but also personally, in how your leadership probably has been tested during these crazy times? Sure. So like everybody else, I'm exhausted, I think. Um, you know, it's been a long year, um, but I, I feel for the employees um, and residents here in town because, well, it's been a long year for me. It's been a long three years for everybody else. Um, you know, I certainly see really the aftershocks of the Columbia gas crisis, um, not only in our residents who, who might call because they see an Eversource truck um, and, and they want to know what's going on, um, to really our employees who honestly haven't really been able to take a vacation in the last three months. You know, I look back at, at some of our, our real heroes of the Columbia gas crisis and, you know, I think of Chief McCarthy and Chief Gray and our building inspector Paul Hutchins, um, and they've been on for three years straight, right? They went right from, from basically the town blowing up to a pandemic. And that's a pretty incredible way to live. Um, and so, you know, I, I think of them and what they've been through, um, you know, professionally, and it does affect you personally as well. Um, and so, you know, one of the goals for me over the next year is figuring out how I make all of those people go on vacation. Um, but, you know, I think it's certainly been trying. Um, I have enjoyed over the last maybe three weeks finally being able to pick some of the non-COVID related stuff up off the floor. Uh, and it's felt so good to do normal things again, um, which sounds weird, right? But getting to deal with kind of what other people might think is a mundane issue, I'm like, yes, I'm not talking about COVID right now. Sure. And it's just, it, it feels good because it has become a lot. And I think we've all become almost numb to it, which isn't good either. Um, you know, personally, I'm very excited to have my kids back in school, um, like I'm sure everyone else is. Um, you know, it's been tough to watch them through all of this with trying to be home and figuring out how we juggle everything. Um, it certainly has helped us all come closer together and grow, I think. You know, one of the things that's been hard for me professionally is that I usually like to spend the first year in a new community getting to know everyone, and that's been really hard to do over Zoom, right? right. And there's still people I'm meeting for the first time and trying to build relationships with, and, um, you know, that's been a struggle. And so, you know, I think one of the things that we're all gonna face over the next couple of months is, you know, this return to normal 
isn't really so normal on our insides, right? And you know, there's going to be a real um, a real challenge in not burying ourselves inside of our offices, you know. And I always say that we go to people where they are because that's where people talk to us, right? Like if I go to the police department instead of having the police chief come to me i get to see all the people that work at the police department and they tell me stuff and i get to make relationships with them but if i can't do that because i'm actually not supposed to go into their building because of covid you know that that's an impediment and i have to try to break those barriers down now uh, and make everybody feel safe which is tough for sure i've had the pleasure of working for every town manager that north end has ever had since it went to uh, town management government and we sometimes say who's the right person for the right time and i i honestly believe you were the right town manager for these particular things that took place specifically during the pandemic and one of the reasons is i i believe you're a strong leader i obviously work for you i see it every day but your humanistic approach to people uh, whether it be your employees the residents i think is one of your strongest suits is that just who you are so interesting. So I, I always say that, you know, you're often you're the right manager at the right time. And I feel like this is such a good fit for me. Um, I think it, it probably is. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I feel like many of the people who I work with here now and the residents that I chat with are, are almost like a second family to me. I spend more time here than I probably do at home most days. Um, and I've developed really just deep rooted respect for, for everybody that I work with and that I work for, and that by work for, I mean not just the select board, but also the residents here. Um, and I feel like everyone treats me so well too that we've really created this just real team dynamic. And when I talk about the team, right, I'm not just talking about my team of employees, but I'm talking about the team of volunteers, right, that are so important in getting the community to move forward and the team of people who come to town meeting and vote. Um, and it's just so many different aspects of, of ways to lead here. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, sometimes I feel like everybody's mom, um, and maybe it's cause I look like everybody's mom, but, um, you know, I think that I'm able to really have just built these really strong relationships despite the pandemic, um, with so many people here and I'm looking forward to continuing to build on that. And a lot of that might be just because I just tell the truth, right? I'm transparent. I like to be, to educate people on what we're doing. Um, because I'd like to know, right? And, you know, I, I always tell people I'm not classically trained in being a town manager, right? This is not what I thought I'd be doing. Um, you know, so I didn't take municipal accounting classes or, um, you know, H, municipal HR classes, right? I learned it. Um, but I learned it really in a layperson kind of way. Um, and so I try to teach it to others in the same way, which I think people appreciate. And I also think that kind of helps build those relationships. Yeah. You and your predecessor, I would consider two of the most transparent town managers I've worked for, and what I would call truth tellers. I'm a big believer in truth tellers. So is that part what drives and guides you in making tough decisions? Is that transparency? Oh, definitely. You know, I think um, the cover-up's worse than the crime, right? I always tell people that, right? When we're thinking about something we did wrong, I'm like, well, we did it wrong. Let's just say we did it wrong and then figure out how to do it better next time, right? And even if it's not wrong, there's always a better way to do something. We're always learning in these jobs, right? And so sometimes just owning that is really important. There's this um, company called ClareGov um, that we, we use here in town. And basically it's a um, user-friendly way to understand financial operations of municipal government. And the, the person that created that was a banker on State Street. And when he came in to present the software to me back when I worked in Sudbury and maybe in Everett too, um, you know, he said to me, I, I, could, I lived in Hawkington and I could not understand my town's budget. I'm a banker on State Street and I can't understand my town's budget. That should not be happening, mm. right? I mean, that's terrible. So, you know, he has this amazing software and we use it, it's on our website. You can, if you click on financial transparency, it'll take you there. And basically it breaks our budget down in a granular, understandable way and you can even put your tax bill in so let's say your tax bill is seven thousand four hundred dollars you can put your tax bill in and it will tell you how much you pay for office supplies for dpw right you pay one dollar towards office supplies at dpw right it, it gets right down into the roots of the budget it shows expenditures right it shows checks written and i think you know 
we need to approach all of government that way, right? We need to approach all of government in a way that everybody can understand what we're doing because if it's confusing, if it's too complicated, there's a natural inclination that we're not doing the right thing, right? And so if we break it down in a way that everybody can understand, in a way that I can understand, right? I joke about that, but you know, when you're not classically trained in something, sometimes you come at it from a different way. It doesn't mean it's the wrong way. It just means that you're coming at it differently. And you know, I think that I try to remember that and carry that, that we all should be a part of what's happening, right? Especially with town meeting form of government. Sure. I love it. Other people probably think I'm crazy, but as a muni nerd, you know, it, for me, it's such a classic um, form of democracy, right? And, you know, at town meeting, we all should be a player who feels confident in the way that we vote, right? And I know Rick has heard me say that government should be something that happens with you, not to you, right? And town meeting is the most classic definition of that, right? We're all coming together to make decisions for the town, right? But how do you make those decisions if we haven't been transparent about what's happening? Absolutely. You're, you're a veteran of municipal government now, but you're also someone that's still got a, a long history ahead of her. What, what do you do to grow your leadership? Probably not enough. <laughs> um, you know, during the pandemic, it's been hard um, because, or maybe easier. I don't know. A lot of people have said to me, I've done so much professional development during the pandemic because it's all available online. And I'm like, yeah, but the most important part of those classes isn't really what the speaker's saying, no offense to the speaker, but it's the relationships you make with the people sitting around you, right? Um, I've been really lucky that the town managers here in Merrimack Valley and the North Shore have really embraced me. Um, you know, and I'm including, uh, we're all on text chains together talking about, you know, when do we reopen this and what are you guys doing about that? Um, and I'm able to, to build those relationships that way. Um, and that's such a, a huge part of my professional development is having those relationships and having those conversations. But I would love to someway, someday take a pause um, and go back to the Kennedy School of Government and, you know, do the mid-career classes, um, you know. After I finished law school, I'm like, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do any more schooling. That was a lot. Um, but I think maybe as my kids get older, right, because they're little right now, um, and I'm able to kind of get more into our normal groove, I would love to be able to go back and look at something like that. Absolutely. Let me throw a quote at you. We've been kind of giving each one of our guests a quote that kind of makes me think of you. So this one is from Bob Iger, who's the CEO, present CEO of Disney. The most important characteristic of a leader is optimism. I see this quote in you. What does it mean to you? Yeah, you know, I, I'm sometimes maybe optimistic to a fault. Um, somebody will come in my office with what they think is a crisis, and I'm like, oh, that's it. Um, you know, because there's nothing we really can't overcome. You know, and at the end of the day, a lot, you know, sometimes you might close your door and say, whew, that was a day, but guess what? Tomorrow's new, right? And we get to we get to try it again. Um, and so nothing that really happens is so bad, you know? Um, and that's kind of the way that I try to approach it. Like, oh, all right, this is a challenge, but oh, it's exciting. We get to do something new or, oh, you know, we can make this better. And not only in my personal life, my, my professional life, but also really in my, my personal life. Um, you know, for me, I'm just a naturally optimistic person. Um, I love what I do. I, I tell people all the time that if it stops being fun, I'm going to stop doing it sure. um, because, you know, I enjoy it. And because I enjoy it, I think I, I excel at it. Um, you know, so I, I try to keep at that all the time. And, you know, over the last year, it, I think it's been easy um, to get kind of in a woe is me uh, mentality. And for good reason. I mean, we've been through a lot, right? Everyone's mental health has suffered. We're all anxious. Um you know, but I think every day it's felt a little bit easier. And when things start to feel a little bit easier, you can feel yourself walking up that hill. And I think that that's huge. And also I think having little kids puts a lot of things into perspective. Sure. You know, I, when I was in Everett before I had kids, you know, things probably felt more like the end of the world to me um, than they do now. Um, you know, I, I remember coming home from work one day and and I was telling my husband about the, something that had happened and it had been a bad day and I was grumpy and my little, my daughter at the time was probably maybe six and, and she's listening to the story and, and she could see I'm upset and she says to me, did someone die? And I said, no, why did you think that? And she's like, well, you seem so upset. And I was like, she's right, nobody died, <laughs> like, you know? Tomorrow we'll go back and we'll figure it out. 
and we did, right? So little kids do tend to put everything in perspective for you. That is so true. As a, as a father myself, that it put a lot of things in perspective when my kids would say things like that. Um, your husband, Dave, is also in municipal government. Uh, at one point, he actually worked in the community I grew up in, Winthrop. Um, how has you know his involvement been as a support to you? And how does it work with having two people in the household that are municipal employees? Yeah, and it's, it's been, at times, interesting. At times, amazing. Um, you know, so Dave is my biggest cheerleader, my biggest supporter by far. And he um, ran for city council in Everett when I was working as the mayor's chief of staff. So that was interesting um, because, you know, in the city, uh, the council is pretty much the equivalency of both town meeting and the select board, really. Um, and you know sometimes we didn't agree and our neighbors would joke um after watching a meeting that you know did we bring it home and fight about it in the kitchen after and we were both like no we drain the bathtub and, and continue on right but i it, do enjoy it much more when we work at two different places <laughs> um that's for sure but having someone who understands the challenges of our job is really helpful at home um you know there can be a lot of stressors you know and um Additionally, I think having someone who understands the time commitment, right? You know, there's some nights where we may not really see each other till Friday. Um, you know, where I'll have a meeting Monday and he'll have a meeting Tuesday and I'll have a meeting Wednesday. And, you know, and um, we have a huge calendar on the wall where we write everything down so we make sure someone's home. And, you know, I don't know that I would have so much understanding if he wasn't also going through the same, the same thing that I'm going through every day. Um, we try not to talk about it that much at home. We, you know, we might come home and talk about something that happened that was unusual or interesting. Um, but then we, we talk about our kids and normal things. Um, you know, we don't watch Park and Recreation or any of the other <laughs> municipal government shows. Um, we probably should. But, um, you know, he, he's really been my biggest supporter. He's pushed me to make changes and try new things. You know, when I went to Sudbury, um, Emma was six months old. Um, looking back, I was probably insane, right? I went from a three-minute commute to what could be anywhere from an hour to two hours each way. Um, but he was—he recognized that I needed room to grow. Um, he recognized that I was good at this job. He tells people all the time that the best public employee he knows lives in his house, and it's not him. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky and very blessed to have such a supporter. Incredible. That's great. How is your leadership involved in other parts of your life maybe has helped you as the town manager in North Andover? What a lot of people don't know is you're, you're actively involved with some things with your, with your daughters. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I actually spend a lot of time um, trying not to be the manager in other things I do, um, which is hard, by the way, right? So um, I am a Girl Scout leader, a co-Girl Scout leader of two troops in Danvers, a Daisy troop and a Brownie troop. Um, and by co, that means team. So I have to um, re really work on not being the boss, which is not always easy. Um, you know, I've been basically in a leadership position since I was 25. Um, so it's actually probably really good <laughs> that I get to not be in a leadership position in all of these other things and just be a collaborator, uh, which I enjoy. And is something that I try to be, you know, here as well, um, because I'm not always the best at everything, right? I don't know how to be the police chief. I don't know how to be the fire chief. I don't know how to be the town engineer. Um, so I have to collaborate with all of those people and let them take the leadership, right? And so, you know, that is an important lesson to learn through your entire life. Um, you know, I get to serve on my children's um, pack, which is actually so interesting because their principal is my was my seventh grade social studies teacher. Hmm. Um, so, you know, when you say all roads lead home, they certainly do, right? Um, you know, I, I still call him Mr. Obermski because he was Mr. Obermski to me and always will be Mr. Obermski. Um, but, you know, it, it certainly, you know, it, it brings you back to the ground when you get to be involved with things in your community and you're just part of the team. Um, and it's really important to find ways to be, you know, part of the team, the worker bee, um, because it does keep you grounded. Absolutely. Let me ask you, you are the uh, town manager of North Andover, so you obviously are all of our bosses, division directors, department, and all of the employees. I think you said 161. 
how do you, what is your style or method of action in trying to build leadership qualities in your department and division directors? Sure. So, you know, I've been saying to people lately, and, and they probably roll their eyes at me, but, you know, we spend a lot of time investing in our capital. We spend a lot of time investing in our buildings, working our facilities master plan two right now. Um, we buy a lot of rolling stock, but 80% of our budget is people, and we need to invest in them too. And, then, you know, we haven't always in municipal government generally done a good job of that, right? You know, it used to be people went into municipal government because there was amazing benefits. Well, guess what? The benefits stink now. <laughs> um, and so we need to find other ways to build our people and get people to come. You know, North Andover is unique in that we offer an education incentive and we pay for people's education. I've never worked in a place that does that before and that's amazing. And not a lot of people take advantage of it. Sure. But we've tried to really build in a lot of training over the last year. I've been really blessed to be able to work with the deputy town manager, DKC, who has an amazing HR background and really shares a lot of the philosophies that I do about investing in our, in our members. Um, so, you know, we're doing leadership training. Um, we're doing training about customer service. We're doing training about mental health. You know, we, we offered a mental health training about anxiety um, in mid-pandemic. And 60 people came. I went. I couldn't believe it. You know, we have 161 employees, and 60 of them came to a training about mental health. It, it was pretty incredible to watch, you know. Um, and so I think really investing in people, letting them know you're invested in them, right? I think, you know, everyone's not just an employee. We're part of a team, and we're willing to invest in everyone who wants to grow in the organization. And I think that people like that. They appreciate it. Um, and especially when you, when you mean it, when you're actually doing it. Um, and you know, the other thing I try to do is I, I try, and it's been hard during COVID, um, I try to just get us together, right? Like we, right. we got together this week at the Youth Center, God bless the Youth Center, hosted us, and we got to have a conversation about really important things, right? Town meeting and, and salary studies and, you know, all vacation carryover, right? All the things that we need to talk about when we're all together. But we also just got to talk and see each other and hear from each other and everything we do affects everything else that everyone else does. You know, we can make a decision at the youth center and affect DPW or conservation or the fire department and not even realize it if we're not talking, right? So, you know, we can invest in everybody through professional development and that's really important. But I think we also need to take the, the time, the minute to invest in each other as people. And the other thing that I think I've tried to do over the last year is just show people out. You know, we have we have employee of the year for the first time. We've never had an employee of the year. Sure. Um, Caroline Ibbotson, our public health nurse, who could be more deserving of employee of the year than Caroline this year, right? Absolutely. I mean, public health been thrust into the limelight. But also just, you know, an email to all the other department heads when someone does an amazing job at a presentation or gets a grant or nails summer fun, right? Like, it's good to, to just shout people out and say, hey, someone did a good job. And you know what happens? 32 people are on our department head email and everybody stops responding all like right. way to go Rick you did a great job thanks for showing us how we could do it and that goes a long way sure no uh, when they had a consultant come in to talk to us department heads division heads about what we're looking for in a new town manager those were the two areas that I was most outspoken about I, I believed we need more training I think what D and you and others are doing in the HR department is phenomenal. I think for the first time ever, especially with me who has a young staff, mm -hmm. I'm always looking for as much training as possible as they can grow. And the second thing is, I just think is being here 33 years, I never felt we did enough to show gratitude to our employees. And you and Dee have done a phenomenal job on that. And it is interesting, like when those emails come out, you know, when Carolyn got the, and again, there's nobody better than Caroline to get the staff member of the, of the year, uh, but the reaction and how people were generally happy for each other, mm -hmm. uh, that's stuff that I think we've been looking for a long time. So as a town manager, you have to make hard decisions financially in terms of budgets. We could be in some tough years ahead, although I, I think we think it could be a little, maybe a little bit better than we originally thought. How will your leadership be tested during these next couple of years as we get out of this pandemic? Yeah, I don't make any friends during budget season, unfortunately. Um, you know, I get to say no a lot. Um, I get to say yes sometimes, which is great, but I do get to say no a lot. Um, we are in a much better fiscal shape, thanks to Andrew Mailer and Lynn Savage. Um, you know, they really took the time and had the discipline to save. Um, and that puts us kind of in a unique spot. We're also unique in the fact that 
you know, the majority of our budget is actually funded by residential taxes. Um, and so, you know, we're not seeing that bottom out, like we're seeing other things bottom out in local receipts. So for instance, meals tax, not doing great. Um, did not sell any passports this year. <laughs> you know, little things that were affected that we didn't really think about. Um, but we're not seeing that with property values yet. And so we've been pr in pretty good shape. This was a tough budget year, don't get me wrong, right? The budget was only be able to increase by 2.3%. Mm -hmm. um, we had a level funded budget across the board for pretty much everybody. Um, it was tough, but the department heads um, really buckled their belts and did what they needed to do to make it work. And I was so proud of them for doing that. Um, you know, we have a lot of new projects coming on, including Amazon, right? We just got, it actually ends up being about $6.2 million in Amazon permit fees. Um, we've got a lot of capital needs coming up that we're trying to address. And we have done a, a good job of preparing for those. And so, yeah, it may be, you know, definitely fiscal year 22 is gonna be hard. Fiscal year 23 may feel some of the aftershocks of that, but I actually think we're in an up rather than a down here in North Andover yeah. financially. Really good to see that. Um, as leaders, we all need to try to figure out how we build consensus. For you as a town manager, how do you build consensus with your peers, and, and those might be the select board, um, but also all those 161 employees. And then, by the way, we have a community of 30,000 plus people. How do you build, what's your style in building consensus? Yeah, I mean, definitely listening. <laughs> um, people really want to be heard. A lot of the time I can't agree, or maybe there's nothing I can do, right? Um, and, and sometimes people will come to me with an issue that really I don't have any jurisdiction over. Um, but I can listen and I can be empathetic um, and I can offer support in ways that I can. And that means a lot to people, a lot. And letting people have a voice in being part of a process is also really important. Um, you know, we don't want things to happen behind closed doors um, and then be announced or um, not have fe people feel like they were part of a, uh, of a process. At the end of the day, it may not always turn out the way everybody wanted it. Um, but it does allow me and the select board to make more rational and reasonable decisions when we've heard from, from people. Um, and I think a lot of the, you know, the hard part about municipal government generally in, in just life, right, is that most of the time we're not paying attention. Um, you know, I, I know at home I'm not paying attention until something really is impactful to me, mm -hmm. right? Um, but we've tried to find ways to reach more people so that we're hearing from everyone, right? Because if something isn't impactful to you or it's not impactful negatively, you may not feel the need to lend your voice, but your voice is important all the time. And so we've started to use more survey um, applications. We use um, a really interesting survey um, from California um, where basically you sign up in advance, you get texted about the survey, um, in it's about 48 hours, it's called flash vote. Um, you get a text about the survey, the survey's open, it's about five questions long, it's open for 48 hours only. So it builds a lot of excitement, right, about the survey. And then everyone gets the results at the same time, right? So I get the results at the exact same time that Joe Smith, who lives at 39 Great Pond Road, gets the results, right? Because a lot of the time, you know, with the survey monkey or something else, you know, did Joe Smith take the survey 19 times, right? This is actually data, data relevant, uh, statistically relevant. So um, that's been a really interesting tool for us. Uh, it, and sometimes it's a painful tool, um, right? Because people might write comments that, that hurt um, mm -hmm. or maybe that we didn't want to hear, but it's really important for us to hear them. Sure. So, you know, that's been, been something that we've implemented that I really liked about to help us build consensus. But I also think that if you just approach things in a really fair and rational way, it's helpful. So for instance, Monday night we talked about the pond, right? Sure. We talked about, about the rates and the fees and, and how do we handle that moving forward. And you know, one of the things that we talked about was you know, rolling out a longer term plan and educating people about it, right? And, and creating a mechanism for people to be able to tell us how they feel about it. Um, so that at the end of the day, when we do have to increase the rates, because inevitably we will, right? Because costs increase, because, you know, um, Minimum wage is increasing and it costs more for the supplies and you know, it's not a shock to people, right? It's something that people expected and I think when you expect something when you've talked about it when you've educated people when you've heard from them, right? So important heard, right? We listened um, You know, it's not it's easier to build consensus because we've all been a part of that process. So well said um, I look at sometimes 
two positions that don't stay forever. I look at school superintendents, which seem to be almost a turnstile, um, and then I look at town managers, and you've only been here, so we are not pushing you off the door, <laughs> we're hoping you stay forever, but when it's all said and done, you'll probably at some point move to another community or do something else. How would you like to be remembered in terms of your leadership uh, in here in North Andover? So interesting. You know, I, I probably would not have, I know I would not have left Sudbury for a long time if it hadn't been for the commute. Um, and here, it's a lovely commute. Um, and it's a lovely community, and so I don't have any plans to go anywhere anytime soon as long as you'll have me. Um, but, you know, I think when people look back on me, I, I hope that they, they think I was fair, um, that I was progressive, and that we got things done, that we made a lasting effect that improved the quality of people's lives. Um, you know, I'm the first female town manager, so, you know, I hope people remember that. Um, I was not the first female in Sudbury, I was the second female in Sudbury, but there's not a lot of women town managers. Um, you know, Dee and I both belong to the Women Leading Government um, Committee for the Mass Municipal Association, and we've been working on trying to, to get more women to go into the business, um, because it, it's really, there's not a lot of candidates out there generally, right? Sure. Um, and a lot of the time, I think, especially younger women, right? When I became town manager, I was maybe 30. Um, yeah, I was 30. Um, you know, and you're thinking, I've got, I've got little kids, and how am I going to manage this, and how am I going to manage my time, and you know, what's my work-life balance going to be like? And so we've been really trying to build other women up to, to come into the business as well because it's a, a hugely important vantage point that some communities are missing. Um, and so, you know, I hope people look back and just remember me as being fair um, and, and getting things done that was right for the community because that's all I'm trying to do every day. Absolutely. We here at the Youth Center try to build young leaders. I'm very impressed. During the pandemic, I was telling at our council meeting this morning how impressed I am with the kids that have worked for us the last year, how serious they take the safety protocols and trying to grow this program. We're seeing such great future leaders here. What would you, who's been through this now, what would be your advice to some of my high school seniors, my college seniors, uh, that are heading out to their first maybe uh, professional experience where leadership is going to have to come into play. What's your advice to these young people? Sure. So, you know, I was so impressed with your group last year, um, just to start. I mean, you know, they were amazing. We got literally no complaints. <laughs> you know, um, I can't remember a single year of camp that I've run anywhere else, not here. I'm sure there's never any complaints at Rick's camp, but where there wasn't issues. And it just, they just stepped up, and it was really, really impressive. Um, you know, I think saying to, to people, you know, I think of things I echo to my own kids, you know, it's, it's okay to screw up. Um, it's okay for it to be hard because it is hard, especially right now. It's okay to admit that it's hard, um, you know, and it's okay to, to, to take a step back and, and revisit what you thought you were going to do. You know, I always say the most interesting people I know didn't know what they wanted to do when they grew up. I still maybe don't know what I want to do when I grow up, right? We're all working it out and that's okay. Um, you know, I screwed up, I'm sure Rick has screwed up, um, and we just keep coming back to it, we just keep trying, right? And I think that's really important. And, you know, as a leader, I think remembering that you're always just trying to do the right thing, that that's like your, your northern star, right, is what you think is right. Um, but also really being a listener to those around you because what you think is right may not be right for everybody, and that's okay too. Um, and, you know, this isn't an easy time to live. I don't envy the kids who are going to college right now or graduating from high school, right? There's a lot of uncertainty, but it's going to get better, right? And it's going to be okay. And it's okay to live at home for a while. I did that till I was 25. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I have less student loans because of it, so pay attention to that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that at the end of the day, if you always just do your best and you're always trying to do what's right, you'll come out okay. Totally great advice. All right, we know you're a very busy person, so we're going to let you go. But we can't let you go without giving our five, okay. five leaders. So uh, with each one of our guests, we give you no preparation on this. Uh, we're just going to throw out five leaders' names. And tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, it can be one word. It can be a couple sentences. It can be a reason. Um, and let you think. All five of these are leaders in certain disciplines. So I'll start off with the first one. Elon Musk. I'm laughing because... 
last night when I was doom scrolling like everyone else on mm. Twitter before they go to bed, um, there was a lot of drama about Elon Musk because he's supposed to be on SNL as right. a host and the SNL cast is um, revolting. So um, I think, you know, Elon Musk is the kind of person who he just marches um, and he moves forward and I think that's something to be applauded. Um, but I also think it's really important to remember that everything that we say as leaders is important too and is listened to. Um, and so we have to be really careful about what we do. Um, and, and Rick, I'm sure, sees this too, right? Like things that we write on Twitter or things that we write on Facebook or, you know, God forbid if we didn't follow some of the governor's mandates for mm -hmm. mask wearing, right? Like I'm, or gatherings. I am very careful that I'm making sure I'm doing things that would represent the town in the best possible light at all times, at home and here, um, you know, and I think when you're a leader, what you say matters. So, you know, I, I'm not that surprised to see the people on SNL um, revolting in some ways about that, you know, so he's certainly interesting. Yeah. It's funny, my favorite phone call from you last summer, about six times, was, it was a very quick comment, was, everybody's wearing masks, correct? <laughs> and uh, it was it was just a subtle way because you were probably getting some questions of whether we were, and it was a nice way to saying, make sure they are wearing masks. But next one is someone that I think is a great leader, but probably not visible because of her, not as visible because of her husband, Melinda Gates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, she seems she's the kind of person or kind of leader that I think is a supporter. Um, you know, and and those leaders are really important too. <clears throat> Not all leaders are the perfect person you see, right? Um, you know, my husband and I have this conversation all the time that they're somebody's always second, right? And that second person um, is sometimes actually probably more successful in many ways than the top person, right? I mean, I think when you think about that, when you're the, the second in command, you probably can be a lot more effective. You can get a lot more done. Um, and she's been a, a, an amazing supporter, um, but has also shown and shined so many ways um, on her own. And I think that's really impressive. She's never allowed herself to be in a shadow, right? Um, and that's, that's a, a pretty impressive way to be. Absolutely. Um, someone that was a uh, big leader, obviously, be, before we were really alive, but someone that I believe we still feel the effects of every day, and that's Martin Luther King. Mm. I remember reading um, Martin Luther King's poems when I was little and feeling hope, right? And, um, and this year and, and now, right, I read Martin Luther King's poems, and I still feel hope. And I think that's an amazingly effective person who's managed to make me feel impassioned and hopeful and emotional over a 40-year period of my life, never mind how long he's been making other people feel that way too. And I think, you know, that's a, a transitional leader. Um, and you don't, you don't see that many people like that who can appeal to so many different generations um, through his words. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. We're lucky. Really are. Um, someone that is a leader to my young people, and I actually put her up to a lot of this, um, is Greta Thunberg in terms of uh, her leadership with climate control. You know, it, it's so um, motivating to see someone like that. I, I was watching Nickelodeon with my daughter um, last week, and there was a special on, on climate change, and she was asking me all kinds of questions. She's eight. All kinds of questions about it that I couldn't answer. Um, and she knew more answers than I knew, um, I think. She was kidding me. And I'm thinking back to when I was eight years old, right, and I'm probably playing Game Boy and putting posters of Tiger Beat on my wall. And she's talking about, you know, climate change and how we shouldn't be using plastic straws and why don't I shut the water off when I brush my teeth, right? And, you know, you're thinking about that and you're like, geez, you know, these this generation has a mind of its own, you know, and, and people talk about millennials, they talk about, about Gen X, you know, I, what do we call this next generation who is just coming up motivated for change? I mean, it's so impressive. It is, really is. Last but not least is somebody that I think gets unfair or unfairly polarized, 
Um, obviously, I'm a fan, uh, but I think this is an interesting guy that has interesting leadership and in how he handles things. Anthony Fauci. Wow. So, you know, I think it's funny to have watched his um, transition over the last few months. Anthony Fauci, to me, um, so my, my primary care physician's name is Dr. Stratton. He's an Everett. Um, and I will do anything Dr. Stratton tells me to do. He is the boss of my health. Um, Dr. Fauci is in that same box for me. Um, he is someone I've just grown to trust. Um, and I think it's because he, he's, he's human, he's normal. Um, he delivers with, with humor, which I think is such a, an important way to deliver information. Um, and he's really, he's really ingrained a, a sense of trust in me that, that I, I never would have expected failing um, in a, a public official over the last year, right? Um, and you're right, he's, he's, he's been a polarizing figure um, in, in ways that I don't think he ever assumed. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about it, he's been doing this for decades, decades. and suddenly thrust into the, the limelight in a way that I'm sure he didn't expect, but he handled it with, with just such humility, um, and he's grown into it. Right, you know, and, and seeing him do the, the media junkets now, um, he looks so comfortable in his own skin, right? And I think, you know, what, what type of leader that is to be able to stand up and say things that are hard, right? It's controversial. You know, not everyone believes, not everybody agrees. He's saying things that, you know, maybe don't always give us hope, right? right? But he's delivering it in a way that makes me feel like it's gonna be okay. And yeah. I think that's, that's really poignant. Yeah, very well said. This has been phenomenal. So we're going to give you our last word. And I, I think it has been tough during the pandemic because I think a lot of people know you through Zoom. They don't really know you in person. We are getting to that point, folks. Uh, better days are ahead. What would be your final word to the residents of North Andover? Oh, my gosh. Well, I guess to start, thank you. Right? It's been a tough year, but it's been a good year because of all of you. Um, and so many of you have... Uh, motivated me and surprised me and really made me feel so warm and welcome by the way you've treated the rest of the community. You know, we've banded together over this last year, um, not just in mask wearing and not just in social distancing and not by just all agreeing to walk around the common in the same direction, which I appreciated, um, but also cool. by giving back. You know, we we formed a food bank. Like who would have ever thought we'd do that? And I would meet people I had never met before where they were putting their their food inside the brown bin outside the senior center, right? I mean, we served lunch every day. We handed out books and you were all a part of that, a huge part of that. And we couldn't have done it without you. And you know, I think of people like the Kindness Collaborative, um, Representative Minacucci, who's been just a, a friend um, through all of this. And, you know, the, the select board who's been so supportive. I've never had a more supportive board. Um, and I just, I, I can't say thank you enough for welcoming me to this community in the way you have, but also for just being what the true meaning of community is. So thank you. Such a great final word. Um, we are heading to better days. And as we said at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we're in this together and together we'll got, get through this. And I think, Melissa, you, you, your final word is directly to that. I think North Andover is a, we are a good community. We're a community that is willing to look in the mirror. Uh, we'll, we'll correct things that need to be corrected, and we're going to keep growing, and uh, your leadership is going to help us do that. So I want to thank you once again for coming on the Youth Center podcast. Thank you, Rick. And next week, we will be bringing on the fourth of our series, and it'll be uh, administrator from the Greater Lawrence Family Health Center, Rich Napolitano. And we're going to be talking about their amazing rollout of the vaccination and the leadership that went into that, um, from basically the federal government contacting them to, to basically rolling it out completely. And, and I've known Rich for many, many years, and uh, it's going to be great to hear from him and then some of the stuff that he does outside of his professional life in terms of leadership. So as we finish every podcast, we say too much passion is never enough passion. <laughs>